We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, 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 and welcome to the Rotoviz Division Preview Series. I'm your host, Dave Fonlico, and I'm excited to be breaking down the AFC North for you today. We have a whole series coming your way of the different division in our preview, hosted by myself, Mike Randall, Colm Kelly, and Neil Dutton. So you definitely want to be catching all of those episodes. So be following us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio, where you can see all of that. Follow me on Twitter at StayFunlico, and be keeping up to speed with all the latest podcasts and articles that we're dropping. Rotoviz has got a lot of great content coming your way. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Chris Harris of the Harris Football Podcast and JJ Zacharyson, editor-in-chief over at numberfire.com and host of the Living the Stream and Late Round podcast. Both of these guys are absolutely fantastic with great followings and great advice to give when it comes to fantasy football. So it was a real pleasure to be able to sit down and talk to them and hear about their perspective because they do look at fantasy football from a slightly different lens. And so I thought it'd be really valuable to get both of their opinions today. So we're going to dive into the AFC North. I'm first going to talk to Chris about the Bengals and the Browns, hear what he has to say about them. I'll briefly touch on what we talked about afterwards. I'll be giving you a few examples of how you can utilize the Rotoviz tools from the website. And then after that, we'll listen to JJ Zacharyson as he talks about the Ravens and the Steelers and gives us some great advice for upcoming fantasy football year. I'm super excited you're here. Don't go away. You're going to really enjoy this episode. And before we jump into anything else, I want to let you know that Rotoviz Patreon is back for a second season and it's better than ever. Patronships start at just $6 per month, and we now offer exclusive access to Rotoviz Radio Slack, where you can ask questions and gain league-winning advice from many of the podcasts and writing team, myself included. 
Patreons also get first dibs on listener league spots, but you have to hurry up and sign up soon because those are filling up quickly. And in the $9 tier, you get some sweet Rotoviz radio merchandise at the end of the season. Become a Rotoviz radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high quality industry leading programming. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash radioviz radio. All right, let's get into the interview with Chris Harris. I know you're going to enjoy it. And I am joined by Christopher Harris of Harris Football. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I, I guess I wanted to say back on this show, but it was I'm I was a guest on your other yes. hiatus show. Yes, is this it podcast, which has very little to do with sports. Uh, now we get to talk about football, which is also fun. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah. I I really enjoyed talking to you. It was right after you had published your novel novel Tulsa, which I still really really enjoyed. And I you know whenever I have the opportunity to tell someone to buy that book, I, I have to do it. So everyone go out and buy Tulsa if you're into Thanks. some uh, post apocalyptic style writing. You will love it. Uh, but you also have a lot of other stuff going on. You uh, I believe you just released your second version of the of the almanac, the player almanac for this. Uh, upcoming year. So people should definitely be be looking out for that. I'd, I'd love if you just want to give like a 30 second blurb on why people should be uh, buying that. I'd, I'd love to let everyone know. Sure. I mean, so I do a podcast five days a week, right? Talking about football, but it's all kind of very ephemeral and fleeting. And if you would like to kind of have a profile that I've written on every single player. It's this PDF that's 240 something pages long. And I spend all summer watching film and writing about it, make jokes about all the players and then also give them all film grades and ranks and like dynasty ranks and super flex ranks. And it's got helmets this year. I don't know if you've seen Ooh, it, but yeah, it, nice. it, yeah. it, it has helmets. Uh, it's, it, I think it's, it's done really well. So I have no complaints. And if people don't want to get it, it's cool. But if you want to find out more about it, it's harrisfootball.com. And, um, I sure worked hard on it. It's about three months worth of work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a lot of writing, a very different type of writing, I'm sure than what you were doing with Tulsa, but, uh, we are, we are grateful for it. And, and one of the things I love is that you do dig into all the players. You don't just look at the, the box scores from the last couple of years and try to come up with what you think might happen again, but you, you try to analyze what players are actually more talented than, I mean, all these guys, I mean, they're, bringing in the NFL, they're all talented athletes, but some of right. them, some of them are more so than others. And I really do appreciate uh, that you, you take the time to develop an opinion based on what you can see rather than just, well, I guess both are what you can see, but what you can see on film rather than just what you see on a, on a box score. Right. I mean, believe me. So, I mean, I was with ESPN for eight years and at the, t for much of my tenure there, I was covering baseball also. And believe me, when I tell you, if there were stats that told me what, to think in football, I would so do that instead. It's much, much harder to watch all the games on film. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, I do appreciate that take because, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of other ways to, to do it. So it's, it's nice having your, your perspective from that from that viewpoint. Another episode I listened to of yours, uh, you had Ross Tucker on, and this is where I'll segue into our AFC North conversation. You had Ross Tucker sure. on to talk about offensive lines around the league. And I thought it was interesting that two of the, the more troubling offensive lines that he pointed out are the two teams that we're talking about today, Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. So just kind of start with that. What what does that mean to you for fantasy football when you have a guest on like Ross Tucker who's telling you that these offensive lines could be a problem? It means nothing for the purposes of drafting. I don't think it changes my opinion on drafting, but it probably pricks up my ears just a little bit for early season. Let's take a look on what it really looks like. 
you know, Ross would be the first one to he played offensive line in the league. That dude knows what he's talking about. And he's a he's a good friend, really good guy. And he'd be the first one to say, you know, this is me looking at rosters and looking at histories and and knowing the players in other contexts. But every offensive line every year is reinvented. And sometimes the sum can wind up being a lot greater or a lot worse than the parts. And we're not going to really know until we actually see them in action and see what it looks like when they try to run kind of bread and butter plays and can't or can do it. So for me, it isn't so much an actionable item when I'm evaluating what I think of Nick Chubb or Joe Mixon. It's much more, okay, if and when Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb aren't playing well, there are going to be multiple re- possible reasons for this. How, you know, I'm a lot more like, I'm confident in my talent the evaluations of those two players. So I'm a lot more likely to be receptive to the idea that they need to be traded away, downgraded, whatever, if they're struggling early on and those struggles appear to be because there's just no room to run as opposed to sometimes just doesn't work out. Numbers don't generate those first couple of weeks. So um, that would be, it's much more context than it is sort of a motivating influence right now. Yeah, no, that's good. Let's, let's stick with the running backs here because uh, this is a, this is a fun division for, for running backs. Uh, These four teams all have guys that, that we expect to be really viable fantasy options for us going early, early in rounds. And you're quite high on, on, on both Chubb and Mixon. So you've got Mixon as your number seven in standard, number eight in PPR, and, and Chubb just a little bit behind him at 11 and 12 in PPR. I, I personally am a little bit scared of both of these guys, but still, you know, have them way up there. What, what is it that you see from, let's start with, let's start with Chubb here. Um, with, Duke, with Duke Johnson leaving, do you think that changes anything? Did you adjust your ranks at all? Or have you been this high on him the whole time? He's he didn't move with the Duke Johnson trade. He's stayed where he stayed. There was never a thought like, oh, that that rank is leavened by my worry that Duke Johnson does something or takes away some significant portion of work or whatever. I'm I'm assuming because it's the NFL, there'll be another running back who plays in Cleveland. His name won't be Duke Johnson, but someone else will play. Sure. Uh, whether it's the Hillier kid, you know, I don't know who it's going to be, but I think Nick Chubb is really really good. And if Kareem Hunt weren't on that roster, I probably would have him, you know, six, seven, eight, something like that. And I'm not saying I know what happens when Kareem Hunt comes back after his half year, half season suspension, but I feel like I have to work in some percent chance that, and I don't know what the percent chance that is, but it's yeah. a some percent yeah. chance that we, we get to week 10, 11, 12 when I'm trying to win a great high playoff seed or 13, 14, 15 when I'm trying to win a championship. And suddenly it's 12 touches a piece right. because I can deal with a world where Chubb gets 18 touches and some other schmo gets six. That's fine. That's sort of baked into everybody right now, except Saquon Barkley. Like that's, that's sort of is that's what the, the NFL is right, right now. Right. But there's a world where they go, listen, we've got this other guy and he's completely fresh and he's stuck with the program and we, he has a great history with our GM and we think he's everybody's good as the guy we've got. And there's, I've had people on my show, I've asked point blank and said, who's more talented, Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt? And had some people say Kareem Hunt, and they don't have a question about it. And I've had some people say Nick Chubb, and they don't have a question about it. And I have to say, I have a question about it. They do different things well. I think maybe Chubb is a little more varied in the kinds of runs that he can uh, do. But, I mean, Kareem Hunt's a very balanced runner. He doesn't. He's hard to tackle, and he catches it real well. So he could be quite involved, and if that X percent chance is 30%, 20%, like there's something there that needs to drag down. It's such a weird situation because yeah. 
for 10 weeks, you could just feel like, oh, I got unfettered RB1. This is glorious. But you could really get a, a gut punch at the wrong time. Right. And it's un- unlike injuries where it, it could happen at any time. We know for, for a fact that Kareem Hunt will be, you know, there come that week. And it, yeah, like you said, there is a lot of a lot of uncertainties. That's why I actually haven't been drafting Chubb at all this year because I don't know what to expect. I, I do want to make the playoffs, but more importantly, I want to win once I get there. And it's really scary for me. Uh, not knowing what to expect once that once that happens, do you find yourself uh, gravitating to other guys in that place, or are you you comfortable with Chubb knowing that there is that risk? I mean, I'll stick. I'll stick. I shouldn't have said gut punch, by the way. With Kareem Hunt, that's probably not the best <laughs> metaphor for me to have used. <laughs> Went right over my yeah. head. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for the listeners. That was not. I was not intentional. It wasn't like trying to be cute. Believe me. Um, I I, th- I stick with Chubb on my board. Like I I will I will wherever. You know, if, if he comes up and he's sort of my next guy, I don't feel like I need, you know, in other words, it depends on where you set him on your board. And I set him on my board at like RB11. And that's baked uh, into the whole thing is that that Kareem Hunt situation is why, like you said, otherwise you'd have him even higher, I guess. Right. That That's right. Yeah. I would definitely have him higher if, if Hunt hadn't been. Out, so like he's not in the standard league. He's 19 for me. He's, you know, very viable to me as a second round pick. I think you're going to feast very well on him in PPR. I have him 24. So maybe a little bit more like a the few receivers that I would put in front of him. But um, yes, I like this player quite a bit. I would love to be able to report next year that he joins the ranks of the 220 plus bound backs who don't have to come off the field and who can catch it really well. Cause I suspect he can catch it. Okay. And who sort of have lateral agility that you don't typically see from someone that size. The group is like Barkley, Elliot, Gurley when he's right, Le'Veon Bell when he's right, maybe David Johnson. Like it's a pretty small group. I would right. love by this time next year to report. Like it's too it's too early for me to say that's what he is. But and and frankly, we're going to talk about Joe Mixon. I'm higher on Joe Mixon, and I I'm a little more convinced Joe Mixon is that. But they're they're they have similar sort of career upsides. Let's get into Mixon. I was watching uh, your YouTube channel the other day, which again I highly recommend. And you were doing your top seven running backs, and and you showed some some tape on Mixon and just talking through some of his absolute talent. And and I was really I mean I've had Joe Mixon on teams last year. One of the teams I won a championship with featured Mixon, so I watched a lot of a lot of his games, but I. I think seeing all those really explosive plays back to back to back, I was like, oh my goodness, he's not just, you know, a running back who's taking advantage of volume. He's actually really, really good. And so that made me feel a lot better because people are talking about how, you know, the offensive line might not be good. AJ Green is out. What does that mean? Uh, But it was nice to see too that he was able to produce last year when there was a lot of injuries on that team too. So talk to me a little bit about uh, why you're so high on Mixon and what we can kind of uh, maybe expect is the wrong word, but what we can hope for for uh, 2019 with him. Yeah, I have him at RB7 in standard and maybe like a 8, I think, in PPR. In, in, in standard, I have him as the end of the first round pick. I have him 10 overall. I have him 15 in PPR with some receivers again sneaking in front of him. Um, he's just the poster child of my po- – he's one of the poster children of my podcast, right? We're, uh, we're, we're always somewhat – I don't know. Like I, I hate I hate that I have to go on people's shows and go, I'm aware that Joe Mixon did things in the past that All are right. gonna make some people not like him very much and I am aware. Okay, so everybody realize I'm very aware. So when I rave, I'm raving about on field stuff. But it it is a rave. He is he popped to me last summer on film. I was so on high on him last year. It's it's funny, like 
I'm much more in alignment with the market this year because I guess his yards per carry was higher. I think that's what it comes down to is people sure. just go, oh, look, yeah. he got a lot of volume and, he, and a high yards per carry, whereas last year he you know, was 3.8 as opposed to 5.4, whatever. I don't know what the numbers were. But yards per carry is a terrible stat, terrible predictive stat. It's a good stat to look back and say what happened, but it doesn't tell you anything about what's going to happen. He's just that he is the next generation of the big guy who we hope turns into – Le'Veon, I call him Le'Veon Jr. You know, he's maybe not quite that much of a jazz runner where he stops in the hole and looks around and then goes. But it, he has some of that, and he has just great change of direction for his size. He has terrific power. I think he could catch it a whole bunch if they needed him to. Um, very, very pro on Joe Mixon. And I understand that people are going to see when I again, if I'm I'm coming on your show and it's an audience that doesn't listen to me all the time, and I sort of gloss over what the foundations of how I think about this stuff are. You've listened to my show, so you know this. But right. like, I'm just not going to be the one who panics about situation. I don't think we have a good grasp on teams before they start playing. Everybody is like, wait, why would I draft to take Juan Barkley number one? The Giants are going to stink. And I go, okay, but they stunk last year. And anyway, I don't yeah. know that they're going to stink because it. Th- teams change like you, you people are you look at just the, so, as simple as like over under win totals in vegas every year we are wrong by like um, a, i think a third of the teams where the vegas win total is off by uh, three or more games wow yeah we are terrible at knowing what what teams are good beforehand nobody thought the chiefs offense now we're just we're, we've decided the chiefs offense is good forever and it probably is going to be good this year. We didn't think so last year. We didn't think it would be this good going into last year. Last year, there were people telling us the Bears offense would be unbelievably terrible. It was actually really good. I just think you're making a really big mistake by saying, I, I'm staying away from Joe Mixon because I think the Bengals are going to be bad. Um, he's a really good player. I get that the first round offensive lineman isn't going to play. I get that there's some journeyman on that offensive line could wind up being a little bit of a red flag. I had Brett Coleman from the film room come on my show and say, you know, I hear you, but I think the left side of that line is going to be okay. And if you have one side of a line that works, you can still have a running game. You might have problems in pass protection, but you can still have a running game because you can run to it and then you can run against it when the defense cheats that way. Uh, so I'm not going to be worried about mixing the situation. I want the good player. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. And uh, <laughs> just you talking about like what you see as opposed to like with your eyes rather than just like stats from the previous year. I remember when you were warning all of us against – going uh, early on uh, Jeremy Hill. And I, I refused to listen because I wanted Jeremy Hill to be a thing. And I drafted <laughs> him on, on a couple of auction leagues, spent way too much money, and I did terrible in every one of those leagues. So uh, that was the moment where I was like, I really need to start listening to Chris more often because, <laughs> uh, yeah, film don't lie. It's, it's good stuff. Um, in these backfields, are there any other running backs that you're interested in? Maybe none of these guys have a clear-cut, in my opinion, they're very few uh, clear-cut handcuffs anyway but I mean there's a lot of depth uh, in Cincinnati so I don't even think Gio Bernard would really be a handcuff because who knows what they do with Rodney Anderson or Trevion Williams or their 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 rookies there um, but but are there any guys in these backfields like Gio Bernard or Hilliard in Cleveland that that interests you late in drafts I mean I would have to have seen Hilliard play a single down in my life which I haven't so I think we're going to probably leave Hilliard sitting sitting on the wayside for the moment. Maybe he'll turn out to be amazing. Maybe that's why they felt great about changing uh, in Duke Johnson for a draft pick. You know, if if somebody told me, I, it's funny on my show today we talked about handcuffing, and if somebody told me that they wanted they wanted to take Mixon in the second round and then take Gio Bernard in the fifteenth or fourteenth or whatever, I'm okay with it. 
I, I don't. I agree. I don't know how it's going to work out with the rookies, but I think I know how it works out with Gio Bernard. He's a pretty good player. He's fine. He he has some sort of role anyway. Yeah. He he he's probably has a role. I'm not. You know, I'm not going to start him clearly as long as Joe Mixon's healthy. And if Joe Mixon's hurt, I won't be so callow as to say, "Cool, you know, slap my palms together." Gio Bernard's job. Right. Someone else is going to factor in. But who would I bet on? this moment getting the most touches like everything's a platoon now yeah so what i really want is the guy who gets 60 70 percent and at this moment knowing what i know about those two rookie running backs and especially because anderson who knows you know is coming off torn acl he's apparently able to do stuff but i don't really don't know i would guess probably at the moment the 60 to 70 percent would be bernard so i don't hate the idea of handcuffing him he'd be the only one that i'd be even thinking about yeah, no, that's that's good. Let's move on to the wide receiver position for these teams. Again, uh, a couple exciting exciting players to talk about. Of course, Cleveland brought in Odell Beckham Jr., who you have number three in both. I am always just so scared of Odell Beckham because of the injury history, and he just, you know, diva, diva wide receivers just frighten me so much. But uh, Jarvis Landry is a guy that I, I think you're, you're, you're pretty high on compared to... to consensus which I'd, I'd love to hear some of your reasonings why i know a lot of people are afraid that beckham's gonna suck up all the targets and there's gonna be nothing left for landry so i'd love to hear just uh yeah why why you're not as terrified of that as, as uh, maybe i am well it just comes down to a crutch argument you you sure i used to <laughs> yeah. sit in the room at, i used to sit in the room at espn when we would do our group rankings and in like consecutive receivers that we would be talking about i'd hear the same person say you know, because they liked the player, they'd say, I'm excited that he gets to go to that, that, that now he has a number one on his team because it means less coverage, less attention. Cool. Rock on. And the very next player, they wouldn't like the player. So they'd say, oh, a number one receiver came to his team. Not enough targets for him. Yeah. Like you, this is the definition of what I call a crutch argument. You can essentially, the same stimulus, Odell Beckham coming to the Browns, can be used as a pro for Jarvis Landry or an anti for Jarvis Landry. Less attention, more efficiency per touch, bigger plays, yada, yada, yada. Or, oh my God, he's going to have three targets a game. Yeah. And in the end, because I don't know which, and, and frankly, it works out both directions sometimes. You know, I don't know which way it's going to work out. But because I don't know, I'm likely to just kind of play it by what I think the player is. And I think the player is pretty good. It's interesting though, because in standard, I think I have him 60 Landry, 67 overall fantasy football calculator has him 68. Yeah. 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 So I'm not even sure I'm that far off. I have him higher in PPR, but not like insanely higher. Um, Landry had a weird year. He was used kind of a little bit more down the field than he had been previously in Miami. Um, and that might've just been out of necessity because they couldn't get anybody else going in that, on that receiving core and maybe it goes back to being a lower air yards per target uh, with Beckham there. I guess that's possible. Landry also dropped balls where, I mean, he had, he has some of the best hands in the league and he dropped seven balls maybe last year and at least three or four of them, terrible, ridiculous concentration drops that you just never see from him. I'm just going to assume he goes back to being really good. And like, didn't the, if, if what people are excited about is, cool, I'm really excited about Baker Mayfield. I'm really excited about Odo Beckham. I might draft David Njoku. I'm super psyched for Nick Chubb. What they're essentially saying is, what a lot of us are saying, we see a lot of ceiling for the Browns offense. Right. Haven't the haven't the Rams taught us that when an offense has a lot of ceiling, it's okay to own multiple pieces of it? If you believe in the Browns offense, own pieces of players you think, you know, for the price of a sixth round pick, 
how would you have felt about getting Cooper Cup last year? Yeah. That's what Jarvis Landry gets production-wise. So it feels to me like there's a, a, a fairly safe weekly floor. Jarvis Landry is not going anywhere. There are 30-plus passes a game with Baker Mayfield. I'm happy draft, not all on the same team, but at various points, I'm happy having Beckham. I'm happy having Landry. I'm happy, happy having Njoku. Yeah, let's actually uh, talk about Njoku for a little bit. Uh, I, I was curious. I, I know you have him as your number six tight end. Is he someone that you you like a lot and have him there, or is he just your favorite of of the leftovers? And I had to throw a little leftovers in there because we did talk <laughs> talked a little bit about the leftovers. <laughs> Love that show. Yes, a uh, little David Lindelof. Anyway, uh, is he is he someone that you are high on, or is he just the best of what's left? I guess I'm technically higher than the market, but of course you know I'm not creating ranks based on what I what what the market is. Yeah. Uh, it, as it turns out, I have Najoku. I think 80th in standard and the market's 99th the last time I checked. So I'm a round or two earlier. Um, I, I have him like right with Evan Ingram and I know that the market likes Evan Ingram more than I, it's funny when I wrote the profile for Evan Ingram in the, in the almanac, I was, I wrote this profile, it was the summer and I wrote a profile going, come on guys, we all still can like Evan Ingram. I know he was terrible (laughs) and disappointing last year, but come on, we can all like him. And then then yesterday I wake wake up and look at ADP and I'm like, he's way higher than I have him. Uh, and I go, oh, well, that <laughs> yeah. profile doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I view Najoku like I view Ingram. And I probably am lower on the Ingram than the market and higher than on Najoku. And he's neither one. They're very similar players. Neither one's really put it together yet. They, Ingram might have been on his way to a pretty good season, but he got hurt. Uh but probably both at this point in their careers are more athlete than they are football player. They have stuff to prove to get like, they know how to kind of harness that great speed that they have and turn into actual football. And I'd say OJ Howard belongs in the same conversation. OJ Howard last year showed me a little more polish than either Najoko or Engram has shown in their entire careers. And he's younger. So I'm a little higher on him, but um, I do. I feel like it's a, a must to get him. I don't, yeah. I feel like, I'm more likely to watch everybody in my league take a tight end and he'll be gone before I have to even think about it and I wind up with just whoever because I'm just much more concerned about the scarce positions. But if it falls to me where I can get him and it's 80 or after, I, I probably would do it. Yeah, no, that's that's good to that's good to hear. I'm also uh, the type that waits way too, maybe way too long on tight end. I, I feel I feel like because I've, I've been leaving draft rooms with uh, just gross situations at that position and that's okay. Let's, let's finish up uh, with the Browns here with Baker Mayfield. Someone who I am much lower on than, than most and I actually, this is one that I, I felt like, man, I really need to adjust my numbers on him because uh, my ranking and projections are, are way off, but I'm, I'm sticking with my guns on Baker Mayfield. Uh, he was fine last year. Uh, he was averaging about 16.5 points per game but that was you know kind of middle of the pack nothing nothing crazy so I, I'm, I'm i'm curious with you you've got him kind of a qb8 so mm-hmm. also you know not not super i know some people are you know pushing him up in the t- in the top five which neither of us are doing that but i'm curious if a baker mayfield is a guy that you'd be comfortable taking around that spot or when you get to him are you just more likely to go late round quarterback well, my my board is just set up to bias towards late round quarterback. Sure. So so even though I have I have him QB eight, he's still not in my top one hundred players yeah. for standard, right? So sure, if we get down to one hundred two 
and and he's still there, then I'm going to take him. Definitely. I think at that point it's about draft value. And I go, yeah, rock on. Unfortunately, his average draft position is like 62. Yeah. So guess who's not guess, guess what has two thumbs and isn't getting Baker Mayfield. So this is much more of a philosophical thing about where you fold quarterbacks into your combined ranks. And I'm just going to fold them in much, much later. It's really nothing against the player. I'm, I know that I'm not going to get him in almost every league, unless I'm in a league with you and other fantasy experts, because then we all wait and then you get the quarterback that you want. Yeah. yeah. But in, in citizen, citizen redrafts, you typically are not going to, you know, not going to see everybody wait on quarterback. So I won't get Mayfield. And again, nothing against him as a player. I thought he, there's probably too much Pollyanna that the Browns are going to the Super Bowl, where okay, no, he made he, he made mistakes. They were mistakes of enthusiasm and mistakes of misreading. He hasn't seen it all yet. I, the Texans game stands out to me last year as being it, it was just it was like three interceptions, bang, 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 where all three of them you go just got fooled on all three of them, and it's and hopefully this year he doesn't get fooled, but you you got to wait till you see the guy mature until, or else you've got Mitch Trubisky. So what I loved about Baker Mayfield and what I liked about him as a prospect was just throwing accuracy and ability to keep his eyes downfield when the rush is on him. He has good mobility. He'll get out of the pocket or whatever, but he'll give it a chance. He'll get plays a chance to develop and not get freaked out by a pass rush. That's pretty rare to combine that with some pretty good throwing accuracy into some, you know, not throw not Alex Smith throwing accuracy, you know, not the, check down stuff he's literally throwing it into really tight windows downfield and doing a good job so no complaints about mayfield at qb8 i feel like it's really showing some respect to him but just qb8 for me is not even a top 100 pick right right so you feel comfortable with the player though you don't have major concerns i'm nervous about turnovers personally if it comes down to it i'd rather grab a guy like Jameis winston i mean we talk about turnovers but at least i know what i'm getting you know my god don't do that but i I can get winston i I can get winston so much later though is my point so uh, that's why i mean there's yeah, there's there just must be a quarterback who's better than Jameis Winston who you could also get so much later. There must there almost has to be <laughs> by definition. There almost has to be. Yeah, I I like Winston too much this year, but <laughs> we'll we'll leave that for another day. Uh, let's uh, let's jump over back uh, into to, to Cincinnati. Uh, talk about the wide receiver position there. I, I'm curious. I know you've got uh, you still have AJ Green pretty high uh, compared to where a lot of people are are moving him down. He's he's falling pretty drastically with this. Injury, no one's exactly sure how many games he's going to miss. And then Tyler Boyd, of course, is is everyone's uh, darling. He had a quite a breakout season last year. So I'd love to hear what you expect from the wide receiver pr- position, uh, how you feel with uh, Tyler Boyd and then with A.J. Green with the injury, how that affects you when it comes to just like draft strategy, uh, looking at the wide receiver position. Well, so... Uh... The, it's coming. The average draft position is coming down with AJ Green. It's still above where I have him it, right now on Fantasy Football Calculator. It's 52 overall, and I'm at 57. Okay. So yeah. maybe the maybe the market isn't maybe it hasn't caught up yet. Maybe yeah. not. Not enough people have done drafts and realized. Oh no, I might not have a lot of AJ Green. But I also think we have a tendency to push the panic button. So like the the, the talk about the echo chamber. I mean, Kenyon Drake wears a walking boot for half a day. And people have decided he's getting his foot amputated. Yeah, well, he got injured because I, I drafted him, and then two minutes later, the news <laughs> broke. So clearly, it was my fault. But, but this is just 
the coach has said right. nothing. The, all they've really said is, eh, he might not play again in the preseason. The, the, the Dolphins play a preseason game Thursday night. They play a, a th- third preseason game in six days. Veterans never play the week week four. What does it mean that he's not playing in the preseason? It doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying he's healthy. I have no idea. I'm just saying we push the panic, panic button on these things way too much. And we should have with AJ Green. They've said they expect him to miss a game. But they might not be telling the truth. I, it, it just doesn't strike me that it's – it's a death sentence. So I'm okay if people are saying, you know what? I'm in my fifth round and I feel like playing risky and I know I could get a number one, maybe the, a top five wide receiver with my fifth round pick. Maybe if everything went right, if he, if it turns out that he's fine, I get it why people would do that. I also totally get it why less risky embracing, embracing people would be like, no thanks, I don't, not, not interested. But if there's if there's ever a player who you're not allowed to complain about situation, the the poor dude has had Andy Dalton forever. This is <laughs> this is what it is, and he's been awesome when he's been healthy. Um, so it just comes down to how much risk you're going to take on. Tyler Boyd is fine. He's fine. He's the the if he's everybody's darling, then people need to find new darlings. He's fine. He's he's got really great hands. He's got one defining characteristic, fantastic hands. Not fast and he's not really a great route runner and he's he's fine. He, I feel like last year was because the wide other AJ Green got hurt and then the quarterback got hurt and it just was like, "All right, Tyler." He he was good. He was good all year. He's a good player and I'm probably not giving him enough credit, but if if we wake up and Tyler Boyd is a superstar in the NFL, I'll have been really wrong and I'll be pretty surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not someone that you're, you're targeting on draft day or anything like that. I don't really approach drafts thinking who I'm going to target. I've, I feel like I've assembled a board, um, in the order in which I would take players. And then usually I just stick to that. And Tyler Boyd isn't really high on my board. So I'm probably not going to get him, you know, a ton in drafts, but I, I, I'm, I guess the verb is tripping me up. Yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I have him 63 overall in a standard league, and Fantasy Football Calculator has him at 59. So, could I wind up with him? Sure, yeah. Absolutely, I might. And I, I don't think I'd be mad or anything. I think he's a fine, solid, good player who's who I boosted and who deserves a little bit of a boost because of AJ Green's injury. I think I agree with the market, at least as I see it right now on this Fantasy Football Calculator, in that I would probably take Green first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the interesting thing with Green is I, I think back to like last year where like a guy like Julian Edelman was, we knew he was missing four games. And so people weren't drafting him, but those who did, man, when it mattered the most, you were able to really benefit from some, some great usage. And I mean, AJ Green, you never know if the injury is going to linger around all season. Who knows if it's a Doug Baldwin type thing where it just never gets right, but you do have the potential of, like you said, having a top five, top 10 wide receiver that you got in the fifth round uh, come playoff time. So definitely if you, if you can stomach uh, missing out, possibly missing out on a couple games, there's a lot of upside for, for the end of the year. Right. And before green got hurt the first time last year, because remember he came back for one play, it was his toe. Right. And he came back for like one play and non-contact tried to run a route and fell down and he was done for the year. But before he got hurt the first time he was on pace for, uh, he, I think it was eight games. So it's halfway through the year. He's on pace for 90 catches, 1,374 yards and 12 touchdowns. Yeah. That's, that's not terrible. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely something that you want, you want on your team. Uh, let's uh, wrap up with, uh, speaking of guys who se- seem to be injured all the time, tight end position for, for Cincinnati, uh, Eifert. I don't even know if, uh, if there's much to say about, about him. Is he someone who you, if you're like you said, like you often wait on tight end. Is he someone that you would be 
looking to, or is he just not even draftable? I wouldn't be mad if someone had the opinion, what's the difference? I might as well take a guy who could finish number eight at tight end or whatever. I'm amenable to the argument. I have him 21 among tight ends, so I'm not drafting him, but like it, all you're really costing yourself is the amount of time that you're sort of shaky on whether he stays healthy, but he should be healthy week one. I mean, yeah. it seems like he's healthy to this point. So I, I'm tight end is such a mess of a position. I wonder if there's a point coming soon where tight end no longer becomes mandatory in standard fantasy football. Like we start maybe just calling them pass catchers because the NFL, there, there's never been fewer snaps played by tight ends. There's never been fewer routes run by tight ends than last year. They just, Three wide is the base set in the NFL right now. And a lot of tight ends that get snaps are offensive linemen, basically. Yeah. So at some point, I go, I don't care. I, I, I'm i fine if someone says Eifert. Um, of course, we think it's probably going to go bad. It's usually his back. Last year it was disgusting leg injury. It was awful. Um, but, yeah, I, if, if somebody said, well, he's a good player. When he's in there, he's pretty good. You were ranking him top 12 last year, even with injury histories. Why not just go ahead and do it again this year? I, I probably wouldn't have a problem with that. It's funny, though, because I, I hear what I say about tight end, and then the logic would be, well, golly, you, you just definitely therefore want to spend for one of the top ones. And I know a lot of fantasy experts will tell you to do that. And my math tells me don't. My math tells me that the distance by which Travis Kelsey is likely to outdo the the replacement-level guy is a lot, but it's not as much as the guys who pop at the other positions. And so I'm I'm probably not going to own one of the stud dudes. So maybe I'll wind up with Eifert on some teams after all. Yeah, uh, he's he's a guy that I I could I could envision uh, streaming quite a bit this this year if he does stay healthy. Because like you, I don't go grab those tight ends, and I could see that uh, he he might pop for a few games if he's able to stay healthy. But yeah, not not a target on draft day, and uh, we'll have to see. Hopefully for the guy. I mean, he's he, he was so talented. He had some great some great moments there and, and great seasons but yeah it's just uh those injuries really cut up uh andy dalton i, I said we'd finish up with eifert but that's because i forgot andy dalton existed <laughs> um, but he is barely draftable even in superflex um, as far as a starting even in superflex two quarterback leagues not someone that i'm really excited about and with your qb 26 rank i i'm guessing that you feel very similarly <laughs> I do. I, at some point you go, most quarterbacks if who last 16 games wind up putting up numbers that are sufficient for super flex. But right. yeah, it's not always that fun of a ride with Andy Dalton. Yeah. Is it, is it just, is there something in his game that you see that is just, is just lacking uh, that, that makes yeah. him so yes. mediocre? And, and what <laughs> yes. is that? Yeah. Well, first of all, below average arm, and that's always a problem. And then also just, he has to be on schedule. He just, He's very good when he can hit his back foot and go and throw it, but the moment he's off schedule, he's a mess. And that is that's true of Nick Foles. That's true of a lot of guys. Um, but yeah, it's, he's he doesn't see the field great when things are open. He's good. He can throw it accurately. He can he Case Keenum, right? He is Case Keenum. He just found sort of a better niche for his career than Case Keenum ever did. Um, it 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 puts a lot of pressure on a team to have to rely on a quarterback like that. Can you win a Super Bowl with a quarterback like that? It's it's possible because he is a professional guy who knows he can go through progressions. He knows where to throw the ball, where he's supposed to go, bing bang boom through through three receivers or whatever. But it's just when he has when he gets thrown off schedule at all in the course of a play, boy, it, you usually at some point in a in a good team's run toward a championship, 
usually you need a quarterback to make a play and Andy Dalton doesn't make a lot of off schedule plays. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just hearing you say that. I even wonder if, if the offensive line is as horrible as people think it might be, that could cause uh, some problems for him with timing and whatnot. Um, but Chris, I, I do want to thank you so much for taking the time today. I, I forgot to mention uh, the, the Scott fishbowl uh, power rankings came out and we were within like three spots of each other. So. <laughs> the thing was drafted in July 1st. <laughs> yeah. I am but, not, let's put it this way. I am not ha- harnessing much of my self-esteem on how I do in the Scott Fishbowl. <laughs> I, uh, I have Zeke and Antonio Brown uh, with a couple other guys that have been uh, in the news a lot lately. So I'm, I'm not loving my chances. <laughs> I have, I, I think I picked, I picked two in my little subdivision and, um, and it w- I got Barkley because the person in front of me took Zeke because it was that was before these contract yeah. things were a twinkle in anybody's eye. So what a genius I am! Yeah, I I had the one and I took Zeke and I yeah. What can you do? It was fun though. It, it did really get me like man, fantasy football is right around the corner. Here we go. And of course, you've been riding the almanac for for oh, for for weeks and months already. So you let already... me tell you, it seems like a long time ago that we did that draft. Oh my God, it seems like it's, I can't even believe it was this year. Yeah, it's yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, thanks again. Of course, everyone follow Chris on Twitter at Harris Football. Uh, check out his podcast, get the almanac, do all the things. Definitely check out the YouTube channel, also Harris Football. Very insightful, very entertaining. Uh, Chris, thanks for all that you do. I really appreciate your time again. Thank you. You got it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I think that was a great deep dive into the Bengals and Browns. Thank you so much, Chris, for all that insight. The upshot for me with the Browns is that they're all going a little bit higher than I feel comfortable taking. To me, there's a bit of risk with Kareem Hunt coming in 10 games in. I don't know what that will do to Chubb's value, as we talked about. And Odell Beckham is going so high that it's just a little bit more than I'm willing to spend when there's so much other depth at the receiver position. But of course, we chatted about all of that. One of the things I wanted to dive into really quickly is just Jarvis Landry and his outlook for the year. So I wanted to use the road of his projection machine just to look at what we what we can expect from him this year. I have the Browns projected to throw 568 times and Landry to receive a 19% target share with about a 73% catch rate and an average yards per target of 7.6. That leads to 820 receptions for between 5 and 6 touchdowns, which would put him right in that wide receiver 27 PPR range, which is pretty close to where he's being drafted. So to me, he's a pretty fair value on draft day, not someone you need to look to target or avoid. He's pretty safe. He's going right now as wide receiver 26 in PPR. So again, right about where I feel comfortable taking him. I think he provides a really nice floor. I think the ceiling might be capped, but I think that's what you can expect with a wide receiver three type player. The Cincinnati Bengals, I think, are pretty exciting just because Joe Mixon is such a talent and you can really see that he is a different type of running back. Again, Chris thinks he could make the jump to that elite status. The wide receiver core is a little bit frightening because of the A.J. Green injury and Tyler Boyd's breakout last year provides a lot of safety in him but of course he is being drafted as a wide receiver too going as a 23rd receiver off the board in the beginning of the fifth round so you do have to pay up for that last year's production which i think is fair i think is safe to me tyler boyd should give you the type of production that you want to see i do want you to go to rotaviz.com check out the tools that we have available for you so that you can prepare to dominate this year in fantasy football without any further ado here's my conversation with jj zacharyson we jump into the Ravens and the Steelers, and I'll give you a few more Rotoviz tools that you can use throughout 
But please enjoy this conversation. JJ's awesome, and he really does have a lot of great advice pertaining to these two teams. So here it is, JJ Zacharyson. All right, I'm joined by JJ Zacharyson, the late round quarterback himself, editor in chief at Number Fire. How are you doing, my man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm ready for for real football to happen. I'm already over the preseason. Yes, yes. I mean, at least we haven't had like any massive, huge injuries in the games. We've got plenty of other stuff to talk about off the field right. with feet and ankles and who knows what else. But at least there's right. not been anything brutal. Yeah, yeah. Knock on wood. I'm currently knocking on wood. But yes. yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing brutal has happened yet. We know it's an inevitable thing that that likely will happen. But so far, so good. Right. <laughs> yeah. We we can only hope. I uh, I was talking to my my son the other day. This is a really awkward segue, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and he was he's getting ready for school. They start up next week, and he was like, "Dad, I really don't want to do math. Math is stupid." I was like, "Dude, you have no idea how important math is." He's like, "Why? You don't ever use math?" I said, "Actually." In fantasy football, we use a lot of math, and that's right. It, it made me think of you because you're always doing these uh, crazy standard deviation stuff. That is, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, wait, wait, I have, I can't listen to this uh, on normal speed. I have to slow this down a little bit. But yeah, math is important. It's very important. I think that that math in general too, like as a subject in school, it really allows you to open your eyes and, and your mind to to just general logic. Right, right. So I'm gonna have to let him listen to this later. So thank you for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I. I have so much, I, I owe you so much gratitude. Um, I just want to take you back. The, it was 2011. I was excited. I had taken a little bit of a hiatus from fantasy football and I was getting back in it. And so I was trying to figure out what to do for my draft. I had the number one pick. I was so excited to get into it. And I drafted Michael Vick, just ready to Oof. do everything right. Uh, Cause that's what I'd been reading. And I quickly realized that, uh, early round quarterback is not the way to go. I then later found a lot of your stuff and man, it, it has revolutionized how I've approached fantasy football and is one of the big reasons why I'm sitting here today talking to you is because I was able to adapt my views on a lot of things because of a lot of your work. So thank you very much. That's very, very kind of you to say. It's it's really crazy looking back to, you know, I, I, I published the, the late round quarterback ebook in 2012. And at the time, five quarterbacks were being drafted in the first round and a half of redraft. Leagues. Yeah. So it's crazy. It's just crazy to see how, how different things are these days. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's cool too. Like I, I imagine for you, maybe it's annoying. I don't know, but like late round quarterback <laughs> is one of the most used terms. Like when people are talking about strategy or drafting or whatever, like they just use that term and that's your Twitter handle, man. Like you, you should get royalties <laughs> for that. <laughs> it was, it was really helpful, honestly, early on when I was starting, uh, for, cause people would just tag me whenever they were talking about the late round quarterback strategy and it just right. allowed my, my handle to get out there more and to get more followers and whatnot. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, the other thing, this was more recently, you kind of, and we'll probably get into this a little bit when we talk about specifically Baltimore, but this idea of handcuffing and, and how you're like, you can handcuff if you want to, but it really does limit your upside. I was like, JJ, I agree with so much. This was just like two years ago too. I was like, I yeah. agree with a lot of what you say, but you're wrong about this because you need to play it safe. That's why I have Zeke and I'm getting Alfred Morris. And then Zeke got suspended. I was like, haha, see JJ, I've got Alfred. And then he only gave me two <laughs> useful games anyway. So I was right. like, oh, geez. So again, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's important to, to not just stick with what everyone else is saying but actually look at like what we were talking about earlier the math the numbers what they say what what we can learn from analytics and that's something that i've really appreciated about your work is is diving into more than just you know looking at the stats and see what we can hope to gain from that but 
actually looking at more advanced data and using historical trends and all kinds of stuff that, that ends up leading to a much fuller and robust analysis of what's going on. So it's good stuff. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. I, I really do think that, and Rotoviz does such a great job with this, but I, I really think that, that game theory in general is just a really underserved area of the fantasy space. Right. Um, and, and you guys just, I mean, you guys obviously cover that uh, in depth. That's sort of been been where I, I come from with a lot of my analysis. I think that game theory is just something that that goes overlooked because people think that they can just choose the right guys and be fine. But there's a lot more to fantasy football than just that. Right, right. And then, of course, there's there's that 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 awkward tension between the two. You gotta, I mean, the player also has to be good <laughs> in right, order to perform. But yeah, there's yep. so much that can help us identify what those what those players are going to be. And I, I highly recommend uh, the late round podcast to everyone. Uh, unless they're in my league, of course, then I want to wait a little while before, you know, I, I have to wait till after the draft before I let them start listening sure, to that. Sure. Uh, no, but it's good stuff. I love even like you've produced a couple of episodes over the last month or so just about how to spot breakout wide receivers and breakout running backs. And it's mm -hmm. been really useful. So uh, yeah, thank you for that. And of course, the Living the Stream podcast, which is the most ridiculous in the best <laughs> in the best way possible. Uh, I was I was taking a shower the other day. and I was like, Okay, so I do wash my legs, but I don't wash my feet. <laughs> so I was, yeah. I was an analyzing my shower routine as well. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely become more of like a lifestyle podcast, just as much of a fantasy one. But in in season, we're we're definitely more fantasy focused. But out of season, it's such a such a weekly in season show that out of season we can just talk about again shower tips and things that dads do. Right. So last year, I in my keeper league, I I could have kept Zach Ertz in like the fifth round or something like that, and I was like. I don't want to keep Ertz because I want to have a real good reason to listen to live this living the stream. And <laughs> yes, so right. I can just tilt my head off uh, with it with tight end recommendations. So yes. uh, yeah, much appreciated and uh, yeah, good stuff. But let's um, let's jump into the AFC North, shall we? I had you on for a couple of reasons, uh, specifically for, for the AFC North. One, of course, is your, your hometown Steelers, but also as the uh, Joe Flacco doppelganger, it seemed appropriate <laughs> for, for you to come on the show and talk a little bit about Baltimore. No, in all seriousness, you've been talking about Lamar Jackson for a while now as, as someone that you're targeting as a late round quarterback. So I'd love for you to talk about uh, what you see in Lamar Jackson, why you're excited about him, and, and why you think he's worth drafting, drafting and redraft in one quarterback leagues, but then also I'd be curious to hear how that changes in like a super flex league. So throwing a lot at you, but it's all Lamar Jackson related. Yeah, no, it, it, they're all very, very good and valid questions. You know, I, I think, you know, if you look at what Lamar Jackson did last season, uh, he had uh, almost 700 yards rushing uh, and that's only in, in seven games started. Um, and obviously from a fantasy perspective, you know, you get that what, what's been dubbed by, by Rich Rebar as the Konami code, you get that cheat code, uh, where despite Lamar Jackson not being very good as a passer last year, he still was giving you a nice floor uh, weekly at, at the position. And it's all because of his rushing ability. Um, so, you know, you can look at that and say, in order for him to, to have upside, then he needs to improve his passing. I don't really disagree with that. But there's one stat that I that I found that I think is it really captures what the potential is for uh, Lamar Jackson this year. And it's that since 2000, there have been eight quarterbacks who have had 700 or more rushing yards in a season of those eight quarterbacks, seven of them finished as top five fantasy quarterbacks. Wow. Um, and obviously there's a connection between, okay, yeah, they have to be somewhat uh, relevant from a, from a passing standpoint. Um, but at the same time, you're just building in that floor, that, that, that rushing floor um, that Lamar Jackson's going to provide. Um, and so, you know, on top of that, 
I think that, that we kind of don't give Lamar Jackson enough credit for the fact that he was a rookie last season. Uh, we knew that he was a raw passer coming in. Um, we knew that there was some improvement that needed to be made, and he didn't really have that great of weapons on that team. Um, now they go out in the draft. They get Miles Boykin, this freak athlete. They get Marquise Brown to stretch the field. Um, and they, they draft Justice Hill, who's another really good athlete, speedster, um, who can do a lot out of the backfield. I think that those three picks made a ton of sense for what they can do in that offense and Lamar Jackson throwing the ball down the field. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued by it all. You know, I, I don't think that what they did last season was ne is necessarily all that sustainable, but I think it's really intriguing. And then on top of that, they add Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator. Um, and Roman with Colin Kaepernick, uh, Colin Kaepernick had his best seasons in the NFL with Greg Roman as offensive coordinator. And the two seasons where Tyrod Taylor was a good passer uh, was under Greg Roman as well. So uh, th those both players being uh, good athletes, right? Good, good rushing quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, so I think it all comes together to just make Lamar Jackson a very, very intriguing late round quarterback option where you, you know, if you're drafting a quarterback late in redraft leagues, you can just ignore the downside because we know that the, the position's replaceable. Now, to your point about uh, super flex leagues, um, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit tougher to, or it's a little bit tougher to like Lamar Jackson as much because we know that the, the downside is certainly there. If he can't get it together as a passer, I do still think that he's fine in a super flex league. And I would, I would probably maybe just bump him down a spot or two. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't make a dramatic difference, but in a super flex league, I'm much more looking at, at the floor ceiling combo more than just what the ceiling is for that particular player. So, you know, in a, in a super flex league, maybe I like Dak Prescott a little bit more than what I otherwise would, um, you know, in a, in a, in a redraft league, though I do like Dak Prescott cause he has a good early season schedule, but with Lamar Jackson, you know, maybe you bump him down a little bit just because the floor is scarier and you need that floor in a super flex league, especially if you're drafting quarterbacks later. Um, but overall, I just think that he's a slam dunk late round quarterback pick this year. Yeah. And uh, that preseason game where he silly Willie Sneed with his penalty, but man, that, that touchdown run uh, that if it wouldn't call back, I think yeah. everyone would be losing their mind. Hopefully not everyone saw it because it was called back, but yeah, we right, can still, right. but, but I was like, Oh, his ADP just went up two rounds. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. You touched on, on justice Hill. Let's, let's talk about the running backs in Baltimore because it's interesting. You've got two new guys there. They, they brought in Mark Ingram, obviously, who's, who's going as your, you know, RB 24 right now late in the fourth round. And then Justice Hill, who you mentioned, who, who's an explosive running back and, and has really looked good in the preseason. How are you evaluate? How do you evaluate this position? Do you think uh, Ingram is, is a good fit for this offense? Are you nervous at all that Justice Hill takes over? And then finally, of course, as we alluded to earlier with handcuffing, is Justice Hill someone that you would look to as a traditional handcuff if those even exist anymore? Or do you think he has uh, enough upside on his own that, that he should be drafted? I, I'm guessing that you probably don't feel like if you get Ingram, you need Hill. You probably just think go go get Hill anyway because he's a ex exciting player and what could be a really good offense. So uh, I'm gonna yeah. let you loose on the running back position here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, from a handcuffing standpoint, I, I really think that there's maybe like two or three guys who 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 would be quote unquote handcuffs, like a Chase Edmonds or a even Malcolm Brown from a from a with Todd Gurley. Uh, those guys you can get really really late who could really take over those backfields if, if one of the, if an injury does occur, but you know, handcuffing in general, you know, I did, I've done a study on it. Um, handcuffing in general is usually a losing strategy just right. from the standpoint that we don't know who the handcuffs usually are. Um, and, and injuries really, uh, on average, if there has been an injury to, the, to one of those top 12 backs, um, it usually has occurred around week eight or week nine. Uh, so you're just literally just holding on to this player on your bench for eight weeks of the season. So you need, 
you need a longer roster uh, in order to to really to really handcuff. Uh, but with Mark Ingram, you know, part of me, I, I'm not necessarily high on Mark Ingram as a player. I think that that in New Orleans, you know, you have a situation where the Saints uh, since 2011 have ranked first in fantasy scoring at the running back position as a team in all but one season. And that one season they ranked second. Yeah, um, so I think that's insane. Think, yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. And you have to put context around that. You know, obviously Mark Ingram wasn't there the entire time. This is just a good scheme and it's a good place for running backs to thrive. Now, I don't think Mark Ingram's a bad running back. I just don't think that that he's someone that's going to be this game changer. Or we should look at him as a as, as a game changer, especially because he's getting older. You know, he's not he's not this this young buck coming out uh, and having the same type of speed probably that he had when he was 22, 23. So I, I think that that's some some risk with Mark Ingram. Uh, the the upside though is that when Lamar Jackson took over as starter last season for Baltimore, um, Gus Edwards was third in the NFL in rush attempts. Uh, yes. It was behind I think Chris Carson and Ezekiel Elliott from that point on. And the Ravens ran the ball with their running backs more than any other team. So it's a it's a situation where he should see volume. You know, any running back who's going to see the field in that Ravens offense should hypothetically see some volume. You know, the downside and the scary part for me is that I think that that the the type of player that Justice Hill is um, is someone who hypothetically would be able to be that change of pace slash a good pass catcher out of the backfield for that team. And there's always there, there's already going to be a cap ceiling from a receiving standpoint for a guy like Mark Ingram in a Ravens offense. That's that's more than likely going to be the the, the team that, that runs at the highest frequency in the league this year. So I, I do worry about the receiving upside with Ingram. Now, the the, the good part about uh, this Baltimore offense in the backfield especially is that they start the season against Miami in week one, Arizona in week two. So you get two two really plus matchups for someone like Ingram where if you're buying him, let's say, in your draft as a low-end RB2, maybe he slips and you get him as a high-end RB3, then all of a sudden his stock should rise a little bit just given those first two matchups. And then you can sell him after week two or maybe even after week three because they're playing Kansas City. And maybe even after week four because they're playing uh, Cleveland. So it's, it's, it's not a bad scenario and situation to start the year for Mark Ingram. Uh, but, but to me, just given the cost and given the upside that Justice Hill bring, I mean, he, he has so much speed and he's such an intriguing prospect that I think that, that you know, the way that I'm approaching that backfield is Mark Ingram's fine. I can't fault anyone for taking Mark Ingram, but I, I very much like Justice Hill at his, at his ADP more. Yeah, which, I mean, he's going like in the 160s. He's going, mm-hmm. you know, d- well into the double-digit rounds. Is Justice Hill someone that, like, your your prospect model, did he did he pop on that? Is he someone that you were looking at even before he, he landed in Baltimore? Uh, he didn't have an unbelievable production profile. You know, a lot of my my prospect, my prospect model really weighs final season production because it found that it's I found that that's the most relevant uh, of of all production. Uh, so it really weighs final season production, and it looks at things like rushing share, even attempts per game. So to look at 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 raw numbers, um, not just just market share numbers. Um, Justice Hill was fine. It's just that when you combine what he is and and the type of player that he is. And, and the speed that he brings, that's when you have to kind of push aside the model and be like, okay, he was an average prospect according to the model because the production wasn't out of control. Um, but everything else is there for Justice Hill to to kind of be what the NFL is today at the running back position. You know, he 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 is that that new wave, that 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 smaller dude who has a lot of speed and is is really really interesting from that perspective. So 
that's really how I view Justice Hill and, and just think that he's the, the right fit for today's game. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, I, I definitely will be targeting him. He's someone that had been like, yeah, I mean, Chuba Hubbard had kind of taken over a lot of snaps at Oklahoma State, so maybe, I don't know. But hearing you talk about him, I'm, I, I am getting a little bit more excited, so I'll have to move him up a little bit. Let's talk about maybe the, the least exciting um, position is probably the wide receiver position in Baltimore that we're covering just because it's it's hard to trust with not knowing what Lamar Jackson is going to look like throwing the football. But but you mentioned Boykin earlier in the show and, and saying how he's just a freak athlete. And he's also really been popping in camp. He's been looking really good. He's actually someone that I'm now targeting in late rounds. But we've got mm-hmm. Snead, Boykin, and of course Brown was was selected early. What, what do you make of this wide receiver core? Is there anyone here that you're targeting or, or is this kind of a, an avoid? I mean, I know they're all going cheap. They're all, you know, going well outside the, the first few, I mean, the first 12 rounds as well. So, so what, right. what are you doing around here? Yeah, I mean, I can't fault anyone for for throwing a dart at any at any player uh, after round 10, 11. You know, it, it, at that point, you're really just looking at upside. Is the upside there for these Baltimore wide receivers? I think it's debatable just given the volume that, that I talked about earlier. You know, they are likely to be the most run heavy team in football this year. We don't know exactly what Lamar Jackson is going to be as a passer. I, I think it's a lot easier to target these players in best ball formats than it is in regular redraft leagues because I think that the predictability aspect of things is, is just not going to be there. Um, so with with Miles Boykin, again, he, he was another guy that that didn't necessarily have the best market share production in college, but you can see he had the tools and then he goes and just breaks uh, all measurables and he's just this freak athlete. Um, so I, I think that he's really, really interesting. Um, and the Marquise Brown actually graded out pretty well in my prospect model. Um, so I don't, I don't mind Marquise Brown at all. Uh, I think that, that he's a, an interesting guy too. Um, but again, just the fact that they're rookie wide receivers, um, we generally don't see amazing production from rookie wideouts. Um, and the fact that it's, it's going to be a low volume offense. I, I, they're not necessarily guys that I'm, I'm straight up targeting, um, but I, w- I would much prefer the, the rookies over Willie Sneed because Willie Sneed is likely to be more of a volume play um, just given what he does on the field, um, and that volume is just not going to be there. So I'd probably prefer the rookie wideouts, um, but they're not guys that I'm, I'm heavily, heavily targeting. Yeah, I know that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's, let's talk about Mark Andrews for a second here. Now, one of the uh, tools that we use over at Rotoviz that we have available is just like a, it's a quick game splits app, which is super easy to use. You just put in the player and put another player's name to see how they did together or if someone was or wasn't on the field. So I threw Mark Andrews in there uh, with Lamar Jackson as a starter. And, and you can see he, he only got like 18 targets in seven games with Lamar. <laughs> so it's not like the volume was there. And, and I think a lot of people would assume, oh, you got a quarterback who's not super accurate he's probably going to look for just short passes to you know the tight end that's mm-hmm. typically what we think but then looking at the numbers that ha- that wasn't the case last year so i know mark andrews is a, is a is a favorite late round tight end for a lot of people because they they're hoping for for this this huge jump but uh, i'd love to hear your your thought process on, on andrews and if he's someone that you target late late in rounds as a, as a tight end and if he would be if you'd feel comfortable starting the year with him as your as your tight end yeah, so you know, Mark Mark Andrews had one of the best rookie tight end seasons that we've ever seen, and it was really low key. But that's just that's just the nature of the position. That if you're super super efficient and you're able to produce even a little bit, you just become sort of historic at the position as a rookie. Um, and that's what we saw from Mark Andrews. He he has the the ability, the physical tools. Um, but when you put it in the context of this offense. Um, I can see the upside, certainly, if they are more pass-heavy than we expect. Um, I believe in the talent itself, um, but I I do think that there's just some worry about volume. Uh, And then on top of that, you have Hayden Hurst, 
Uh, you have Boyle, who's gonna who's gonna play a lot of snaps because he's a run blocker. Um, so I, I think that there's there's at least some downside with Mark Andrews. And if you're looking in those later rounds, you know you're, you're you know you're obviously targeting a, a late round tight end as your starter. Um, so there is some opportunity cost if you were to draft Mark Andrews because you know you're foregoing the opportunity to have some of these other tight ends that would be your starter. I prefer someone like Jordan Reed, someone right. who has the physical tools. We know that he's healthy this year. Um, and he's going to just see straight up more volume than Mark Andrews is going to see. So I would prefer someone like Jordan Reed. Uh, but again, I, I just think that a lot of these pass catchers in this Baltimore offense aren't going to really have a lot of predictability week to week. And they're a lot easier to, to, to draft in, in these best ball formats where you don't have to worry about that because we saw him, we saw Mark Andrews last year be a very, very efficient uh, uh, pass catcher. Uh, and a big and, and show off that big playability, and that's what you would want in a best ball format. Right. Um, but right. but from a week to week standpoint, someone who you're plugging and playing in your lineup, I do worry about the fluctuations and how much volume he's going to see. Yeah. No. I I think that's that's a really good take. Uh, and, and like you said, if you're going late round uh, tight end, you may as well start with someone like a Jordan Reed, who we've seen do it before, where injuries are the concern. And you know you can always you can always stream Andrews later when someone drops him. So mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's move over to Pittsburgh. <laughs> And before we get into the actual players, I kind of wanted to use this because they're, they're a pretty interesting example for uh, for a case study here. You've got Antonio Brown leaving, who had just an enormous target share last year for for Pittsburgh. So I'm I'm curious how your projection model works. Like when you're looking at a team like Pittsburgh that has so many vacated targets coming up, and then also last year was the first year uh, where they had a new running back in place and, and, and what that mean means for it. Then adding into this, the, the little wrinkle that, that is the Pittsburgh Steelers offense where in the last two years, they were first and second in pass attempts per game. Yet in 2017, they were only targeting the wide out about 56% of times. And then last year that, that jumped 10% to 66% of times. So of course that makes sense when you have Antonio and Juju, but now that Antonio has gone, uh, what are they going to do? So I'd be curious just from like a, model perspective how, how you go looking at a team like Pittsburgh and then we can kind of get into what that means for these individual players yeah so with my with my projections I started a, a top-down approach or I take a top-down approach so I start at the team level um, and, and at the team level I'm looking at uh, pass to rush attempt ratio and then plays run per game and then from there you can split it out and see how many pass attempts and rush attempts these teams are going to have per game and, and then throughout the season um, but from that from that standpoint, you know, Pittsburgh last year was only the second team since 2011 to have a pass to rush attempt ratio of two or higher, meaning they were throwing the ball twice as much as they were running the ball. Uh, teams that have a, a pass to rush attempt ratio above 1.7, which is significantly lower than where the Steelers were last year, they see that ratio decrease pretty significantly the following season. So I think we're going to see a more run heavy Pittsburgh team aside from the fact that Antonio Brown is gone. It would have just happened naturally sure. even if Antonio Brown was there. Um, so, you know, from a, from a projection approach uh, you can look at Antonio Brown's target share last season. This is what, this is generally how I would, I would look at this team, at least at the start of, of building these projections. And then you just kind of adjust as new information comes out. Um, but you see where Antonio Brown was. You see where Juju Smith-Schuster was. AB's gone. That's likely going to bump up Juju Smith-Schuster's target share at least a little bit. We know where elite wide receivers or top wide receivers generally see their target share numbers. We know that hitting a 32% target share isn't the most likely thing in the world. It only happens uh, once or twice a season. Um, so with Juju, he's going to see a bump, but he already saw a pretty high target share last season. So that bump isn't going to be massively significant. 
Um, but I think that what that bump would do for a player like Juju is it offsets the decrease in volume in that Pittsburgh offense due to that regression. Um, so then you say to yourself, well, what happens elsewhere? What happens at the rest of the team? Well, we can see how they targeted James Conner last season and utilize the running back. So we can assign target shares that way. And then we have this, this, this lump of target share to sort of distribute through Vance McDonald, the wide receivers that they have and so on. So when you're first building it out, it's very easy to just, just kind of evenly distribute at least to like the wide receivers until we learn more information about who that true number two is going to be between James Washington, and Dante Moncrief, or what that's going to look like when they throw out uh, three wide receivers onto the field at the same time. Um, and then from there you can sort of just, just, change up that the, the target share projections. Um, but what you see, and, and really this is why I build projections in the first place is you see where there could be opportunity and you can start, you can start to tell yourself a story as to why Vance McDonald is actually a value at his ADP because there's a lot of volume to, that that's still out there in that Pittsburgh offense. That's going to have to go somewhere. So if you give Vance McDonald, let's say a 14 and a half or a 15% target share, um, and there's a lot of target share left over after you start distributing all this all this volume, then you can say to yourself, okay, Vance McDonald, this is his projection right now because this is this is where uh, you know from a range of outcomes standpoint, this is the middle. Um, but at the same time, you recognize that there's more of a ceiling that that's there for someone like Vance McDonald. So that's that's sort of the way that I approach projections in general. Yeah. Um, and, and and to me, it's more of an exercise of finding the the floor ceiling combos for these guys and finding where there is actual opportunity out there on these teams rather than finding these precise measurements to draft from. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's spot on. And at Rotoviz, we have, you know, we have an app, we have one of the tools that you can use, which is the projection machine, which does it exactly the same way that you're talking about. Uh, Pittsburgh was a tough one for me just because I was, I was unsure what to expect. I totally agree. You know, the level of passing that they were doing is, is probably due to regress but you know there are <laughs> there's still so much opportunity going around and i would like let's start with vance mcdonald because that's kind of low-key fun uh he's yeah. currently adp wise he's he's uh tight end 10 when i did my projections i was a little bit shocked and a lot of times i talked about this with with Harmon the other day um i'll, I'll do my projections and then i'll look at see what everyone else did and i'm like oh crap i need to <laughs> i need to move this guy yeah. i'm way too high on him and mcdonald was one of the guys i didn't move i've got him tight end six uh, and a lot of that is just because of the upside. I've, I've got him ahead of guys like Njoku and Ebron, um, even Hunter Henry. I, I'm just really excited about what he could be in that offense, not only from a big play perspective, but also just just volume. Am I crazy thinking McDonald could have a, a, a big year? No, I, I have him at tight end seven. So he's after uh, the the obviously the big three and then the the next three that that's typical from an ADP standpoint. But I have him ahead of Jared Cook. I have him ahead of David Njoku. I think that the fear with Vance McDonald is that he's older um, and, and, you know, generally you don't want to see or, or, or bank on a, a true breakout happening with an older player. Right. Um, but this is really the first time that he's going to see this type of opportunity or at least have this kind of opportunity um, in, in an offense. And, and, and again, I mean, this is an offense that doesn't have locked in. Uh, pass catchers aside from whoever's going to be in the backfield at the time. I mean, whether that, you know, I'm, I, I think James Conner is still going to be a workhorse, but they might throw in Jalen Samuels a little bit more this year. They might throw Jalen Samuels even into the slot a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but, and I know, happen but, to be a Benny Snell truther. So, <laughs> so yeah, watch out. Yeah. I, I mean, look, <laughs> my, my, my model certainly like Benny Snell. Cause he was, a, a he was on hashtag team production. So yeah. I, I, I get it. Uh, but so, you know, you have a backfield that's going to, that's going to, see so, uh, a decent uh, chunk of targets. Um, but outside of that, you know, you've Dante Moncrief and James Washington um, and Deontay Johnson now too, 
who we don't know what these guys are about. We don't know exactly who's going to be that number two guy. I mean, I have my opinion on it and I, I have my, my prediction for it, but uh, we don't know for sure. And this is a game about probability. We know that that Vance McDonald is going to be the primary pass catching tight end in this offense. And, and last season when he was healthy, he was pretty good. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's easy to, to sell Vance McDonald, especially if the Steelers don't regress as much as we think in the passing column um, from a pass attempt standpoint. Uh, Vance McDonald could see a lot of volume in that offense this year. Yeah. Well, you you were you were talking about the wide receiver, so natural transition over there. What do you think is going to happen between those the the, the non Juju Smith Schuster types? Like Moncrief. I mean, we don't often see like you were just talking about how Vance is a little bit older. We don't often see a, a breakout year uh, in someone's sixth season in the NFL with 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 Moncrief. I mean, he kind of broke out in fifteen in two thousand fifteen, but then he fell back down. He he's never really seen more than a seventeen percent target share. His career catch rate is you know sub 60%. So, so not someone that is, you know, not, not someone that we can get super excited about just based on his personal history. That being said, he is going pretty late in drafts and there is big upside with, with Antonio gone. So I, I'd be curious to see how, how you, you view this wide receiver two and three position with, with the Steelers. Yeah. So I would say just kind of reading between the lines and, and seeing what, what beat writers are saying and, and reports out of Steelers camp that, that Dante Moncrief is likely to be the number two wide receiver. Um, and, and look, I like James Washington coming out. I, I thought that he was a good prospect. Um, I thought that he was pretty inconsistent last season. Um, but I did like him as a prospect. Um, but if Dante Moncrief is the number two, you know, they're going to throw a lot of three wide sets. I think it makes sense to have, honestly, to have Moncrief and Juju on the outside or sorry, Moncrief and James Washington on the outside and put Juju in the slot where he just dominated last year. Um, but uh, I think Moncrief will be the number two. Uh, again, you know, you referenced the the breakout running back and wide receiver stuff that I've done uh, over the last couple of seasons. Um, and, and one of the things that I noticed with wide receivers, one of the trends is that among breakout wide receivers, they generally had some sort of production in the NFL historically last season. A little bit different. Obviously, we're again we're playing probability here. We're going with odds. We're not going. You know, this is not a foolproof way of drafting. Uh, last season was a little bit different with guys like Calvin Ridley and and even Tyler Boyd. Um, but generally, we see players who break out at wide receiver have have they they have had historic production in some way. And Dante Moncrief has had historic production in some way. James Washington hasn't. So. Yeah. Given the fact that 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 that's what the trends say from a breakout wide receiver perspective, given the fact that beat writers and 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 reports out of Pittsburgh are saying that Dante Moncrief is the number two, I think it makes sense to to project him as the number two. Now, with that being said, if you're playing in a lot of leagues um, and you're able to sort of diversify and build a portfolio of players, um, I think it's worth throwing darts at all three of those wide receivers. That includes Deontay Johnson uh, because we've seen. Uh, you know, we saw Juju break out as a rookie uh, and he was viable and, and usable towards the end of his rookie season. Um, and and, it, and there, there is an opening uh, for someone to, to take a spot there. So um, I, I think that he's still, you know, Deontay Johnson's completely free in a, in a in a redraft league. So I don't think that he's a bad dart throw. Um, but James Washington and, and Dante Moncrief are both good, good draft picks at their ADP just because, like you noted, um, you know, this is an opportunity for a, a wide receiver and a pretty good offense with a good quarterback to to really thrive and to, to become something relevant. We've seen number two wideouts in Pittsburgh be ve- very fantasy relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, diversify your portfolio is one of my favorite phrases in all of fantasy football, by the way. It's, yes, it's just yes. fantastic. My son was talking to me the other day about he's like, 
when I play fantasy football, I'm just going to be in so many leagues that I can have every single player. That way I'll win at least one. <laughs> I was like, that's called diversifying your portfolio. And he's like, you're that's an right. idiot, Dad. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Juju. I uh, Again, I did the game splits just to see how he's performed without Antonio Brown. And he, he certainly looks the part. He looks like he can totally handle being a number one receiver in the NFL. Uh, absolutely just ridiculous numbers that he can put up. How high are you on Juju? I've got him as my wide receiver too in both PPR and standard. I think he's just going to be a monster this year, and I, I'm not I'm not nervous at all about about him taking on that role. Am I am I crazy high on him? No, I mean I think that he's in that top tier. I mean he's he's part of it. Whether it's Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, he's right there. Um, so I, I can't fault anyone for putting Juju there. I think I have him just ranked as wide receiver five, but his ceiling is wide receiver one. It right. absolutely is. Um, I, I, I don't really buy the argument that Juju Smith-Schuster can't be a number one because he's always had Antonio Brown there, um, or at least the two years that he's been in the league. Uh, every single wide receiver, pretty much every single wide receiver that's broken out and become an elite wide receiver had someone in their way at some point, whether it's Julio Jones with Roddy White whether it's DeAndre Hopkins with Andre Johnson, uh, it, it generally needs, you know, you need this opening to happen for a guy to really start to break out and be a true number one wide receiver. And what has Juju Smith-Schuster done to make us believe that he can't be that guy? Right. He has some of the best age-adjusted production, if not the best age-adjusted production, that we've ever seen at the wide receiver position. You so, went back to college, too. I mean, in, in college, yeah. he, they just couldn't keep him off the field. Yeah, his breakout age is super young, yeah. Yeah. And, and all of that combined, it's like, what more do you want from Juju Smith-Schuster? You know, I, I you, you can you can pinpoint and say that he, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. But it just just look at the higher level here and look at the scenario and look at the situation with with Juju. Um, it, it's really difficult for me to, to not buy into it. And I, I think there's an argument for him to be uh, the wide receiver one in fantasy football, whether that be in dynasty or redraft. Uh, I just have DeAndre Hopkins there because we, you know, we, we have that that floor ceiling combo with them, and it's right. you know, it just feels a little bit safer. Um, because of course there's at least some risk with with Juju Smith Schuster. There's there's something there, but I, I I like you am not very afraid, just given all of the evidence that we have uh, that Juju is is really really a special talent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And his adjusted yards per attempt is like nine point. It's over nine and a half, which is higher than. Yeah. Antonio Brown's was and yeah I think it's I think it could be really exciting um, I'm also going to clip that where you said I like you and I'm just going to have that as my ringtone going forward <laughs> <laughs> um, let's uh, let's jump into the running back position here because this is where I, I do differ a little bit from from a lot of people I, I'm quite a bit lower on James Conner than, than most people and I'm trying to figure out why that is I, I don't think it's because I don't like James Conner as much as there's just a lot of other running backs in that in that kind of tier that I I'm leaning heavier on, and just when I did my projections, he just didn't come out super high. Maybe that's because I have Snell getting too many carries. I don't know. But what do you what do you think is realistic from James Conner? I mean, he he had a pretty amazing year, considering you know we were all expecting Le'Veon Bell to be there last year. Conner jumped in, and I mean, his touchdown production was just amazing, better than anything Le'Veon Bell had really done in a while. Uh, so so, what do you think is realistic to expect of James Conner? Do you do you feel comfortable with him as your if you decide to go like? running back and then wide receiver, wide receiver. Do you feel comfortable with him kind of anchoring your, your running back staff? Yeah. So to the point about his touchdowns last year, he had way too many uh, rushes in the red zone and inside the five, given how pass heavy the Steelers were. There is some regression that would be hitting James Conner from, from not just the touchdown standpoint, but just the usage close to the goal line. Now they're going to be more run heavy. So hopefully it's not that big of a hit, 
Um, but that's definitely something to keep an eye on. But yeah, because he averaged what, like a touchdown a game, basically. Yeah, it was yeah. it's it was crazy. The amount of volume that he was getting close to the goal line was nuts. Um, but but with Connor, you know, I I started the off season thinking that he was sort of a sell. Um, that you know, Jalen Samuels stepped in, and, and Jalen Samuels is a better athlete than James Connor is. Uh, Jalen Samuels obviously someone who uh, converted. Uh, he played sort of this hybrid Swiss Army knife role at, at NC State. Um, played some tight end there. Uh, but but he he obviously has the, the pass catching ability, which I think is the scariest part. But mm-hmm. if you look at you know James Conner last year was really really efficient as a pass catcher. Um, he he had some boneheaded drops. That Jacksonville game comes to mind. But you know I I do think that that there will be more Jalen Samuels and maybe some Benny Snell in that offense this season than what we saw in peak James Conner volume last year, where where he was just seeing an absurd market share. He was always on the field. Um, I do think that there, that these other running backs are going to ding into James Conner's workload um, more than what, what we saw last year. Part of that, too, is because James Conner got hurt and and the Steelers might look at that and say, we don't want that to happen again. Um, but, on you know, I, I do think, though, if you're looking at sort of this floor ceiling profile, you know, the guys that are being drafted in James Conner's area, whether that be Le'Veon Bell, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, uh, there, there is downside to each of those players uh, where, you know, Joe Mixon obviously has the offensive line issues and right. AJ Green's hurt and there's a new coaching staff and we don't know what that's going to look like. Although I think the coaching staff is probably a plus for, for yeah. Joe Mixon. Oh, uh, that, you know, that stiff arm yesterday. And that, yeah. Piece, oh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. He's ridiculous. Uh, you know, Dalvin cook, obviously the injury concerns. Uh, and then you, you know, you have uh, Le'Veon Bell with Adam Gase, a new team. He's not behind that Steelers offensive line. And then Gase, obviously running at a slow pace and not running many plays. And then that's in his, his offenses historically haven't seen a lot of goal line work from a rushing standpoint as a result. So I think there's downside to each of those players. And obviously James Connors downside is that he has these other backs in the backfield that could take some touches. Um, but I would argue that James Connor, if you look at the floor ceiling combo, the ceiling's obviously there because what if they don't use Jalen Samuels and, and Benny Snell, like we're sort of projecting them to use them. So the ceiling's certainly there. Um, but then the floor you know, you're embedding James Conner behind one of the best offensive lines in the league and in an offense that's likely to be a top half offense in the league. So I would argue that that James Conner has a better floor than than some of these other running backs that are being drafted around him. So I've sort of done a 180 with James Conner throughout the offseason where at first I was like, yeah, I'm worried about the competition. But then when I really started to think about that floor ceiling combo, I started to buy into James Conner a little bit more. Yeah. How, how high? How high do you have him? Like, would you be drafting him into the first round where he's going? I think it makes sense. The problem is that the the way that that drafts sort of unfold, if you're in the back half of the first round, it's just so easy to go wide receiver, wide right. receiver. Right. Um, so so from that perspective, you know, I, I'm not necessarily getting a ton of James Conner. I of that tier, though, I actually have Dalvin Cook as my as the top top running back in that tier. But James Conner, I think, is just part of that tier. And he would I think he's my next one on that list. Yeah, well, we I we need to have a Dalvin Cook argument at some point because I I, I own him in a in a couple, in a dynasty league and so he's burned me so many times. I'm just like yeah, I just, yeah. I'm just not a believer anymore. But uh, anyway, we we don't have to get into that at this moment. Yeah, you mentioned Samuel and Snell. Snell's not really being drafted. Samuel's going pretty late. He's going in the double digit rounds. Definitely worth you know a dart throw again. Not necessarily as just a as just a handcuff, but you, as you mentioned, there could be some room for him, even in a passing game, uh, he yep. could still see some work just so he, he has some standalone value. Let's, let's uh, finish off with talking about big Ben. 
Um, I've got him as my QB 10. I'm pretty high on him. I just think, I mean, he threw the ball 675 times last year. Again, I don't think that's going to happen again, but 600 sure is possible. And uh, just with that amount of volume and, and his ability to, to make plays happen, he, he's, hard, he's hard to bring down. You know, he can move a little bit for a big dude. I like Big Ben this year. He's definitely someone that, you know, especially in, in a one quarterback league, I'm happy to wait and, and draft him late and, and, and just roll with him this season. How are you looking at Roethlisberger this year? Yeah, I mean, I can't fault anyone for for liking him. Uh, I think I have him more in the mid mid QB two range. Um, but at the same time, I think that you'd he's, rather have Lamar Jackson. I would rather have Lamar Jackson yeah. than Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Um, you know, at the same time though, Ben is another one of those players in a two quarterback league or a super flex league that makes perfect sense because he's going to provide some sort of floor, you know, he's going to be the starter all year long. And then he's, he's going to be devalued a little bit because the quarterback position is just so deep. Um, and, and you're getting a discount with Ben this year, obviously, uh, because it's the Antonio Brown effect. Antonio Brown's not there. You know, Ben goes from being a top three quarterback to all of a sudden being drafted as like QB 15 or QB 16. Um, and that, that definitely has everything to do with Antonio Brown. Uh, so I get it. Uh, I, you know, I, I just think just, I, 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 with those later round quarterbacks, I would like to see a little bit more rushing upside. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's, he's not going to provide that all that much. Um, but look, I, I think any quarterback who's proven to have top three upside, um, because that's really where you're finding any sort of difference maker at the position. You really need somewhat of an outlier season for these guys to really matter in some way. Um, so does Ben Roethlisberger have that in him? Yeah, I think he, I think he does just given what we've seen and what he's provided, especially last season, you know, where he did show that he was a a top three passer. Yeah, no, uh, that's good. And and something you just said, uh, triggered something in my, in my brain when I was doing my projections, I was wondering why the rushing quarterbacks were lower in my projections and, and the just the high volume passers were, were higher. And I think it's because when I did my projections, rushing for a quarterback is so hard to, to project. It's hard to know yeah. what they're going to do. Cause a lot of times it's not planned running plays. It's scrambles. So I think in my projections, I was just way too conservative on the rushing for guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. And, uh, and, and therefore they, they kind of took a hit. But when we're doing rankings, when we're looking at drafts, you have to, as you, as you've mentioned, look at the upside and look at what people uh, what these quarterbacks that have that running ability, what they can bring to the table is a lot more than, you know, and it's a lot more, uh, I guess, probable that a guy like Lamar Jackson rushes for 850 yards than it is for Mahomes to hit, throw 55 touchdowns, you know? Right. <laughs> so right. not that we're saying to take Lamar Jackson ahead of Mahomes, but <laughs> yes. Um, yes. no, that's good. Uh, JJ, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you diving into these teams. Um, everyone needs to be, I'm sure everyone already is, but be following JJ at late round quarterback. Uh, check out the podcast that we mentioned earlier. All those uh, gems will be in the show notes, so check that out. Uh, JJ, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, before we close out the show, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. That was great stuff from J.J. Zacharyson. I think he did a really thorough job 
breaking down the Steelers and the Ravens and, and really didn't leave me a whole lot more to say. I do just want to jump into one thing that I briefly mentioned in the conversation with him, and that was just talking a little bit about Juju Smith-Schuster and whether or not he can take over as a wide receiver one. And I mentioned using the Rotoviz Game Splits app, and I do highly recommend it. Do go to the Rotoviz website, check out all of our tools. There are so many different ways that you can get an edge in fantasy football just by doing a little bit of research. And the tools on the Rotoviz website are amazing. They've got the projection machine, which we've talked about, this game splits app that I'm going to talk to you about right now, and also new ones like Win the Flex, where Rotoviz can actually help you determine who you should be flexing depending on your league format and roster construction. So definitely check it out. It is totally worth it. You can get a free trial if you sign up today. So definitely hit pause, go over, sign up, take a look around, and then push play again and, and, and hear what we have to say about Juju. So if you use the Game Splits app, you can put in any players you want and see how they did with the other player in or out of splits. So I went ahead and put in Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown to see what the differences were when they were both on the field as opposed to when Juju was out there as a wide receiver one. Now, Juju did great with Antonio Brown. We all know that. He averaged 16.2 points per game with approximately 8.4 targets per game, which is really solid. When Antonio Brown was out, though, he averaged 21.2 PPR points per game with nine targets in those matchups. So you can see he really was the focal point of the passing offense, and he was able to shoulder the load. So this just goes to show why I think Juju is going to be totally fine with AB in Oakland. JJ and I, of course, went into that. And I don't really need to go further in detail, but the Game Splits app really does show you an easy way to see if your intuition is actually reality or if it's if it's not. So I was happy to see that that my love for Juju was was at least in this way totally justified. He has been able to produce without Antonio Brown, and I expect that to continue. I'm getting really excited for this season. I think these teams that we talked about today in the AFC North have a lot of fantasy value for you on draft day. A lot of question marks. It'll be a lot of fun seeing how these players contribute to our leagues. I want to thank JJ and Chris once again for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you for listening. And I want to thank the team over at Rotoviz for all the hard work they do to produce this great content in our division preview series. Our executive producer is Matthew Freeman and our assistant executive producer is Colin Kelly. Be looking for our other division preview series. We've got more coming out for you over the next couple of weeks before the season starts. Please also take a minute to rate and review the Rotoviz radio podcast on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. Please contact us via email at rotavizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz radio you can find me on twitter at stay fun laco s-t-a-y-f-u-n-l-a-k-o so hit me up there let's talk a little bit about the afc north again thank you so much for listening we'll be back with you in a couple of days with some more division preview series until then enjoy watching your preseason football and have a truly awesome day This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.
As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Ultra-tough James Hardy Fiber Cement Siding helps protect your home from the harshest elements. Wind, rain, snow, even fire. But not Tuesday night fan practice. For your home exterior, count on siding that's engineered to stand up to Mother Nature season after season and song after song. So no matter what, life can go on. Discover the unrivaled protection and long-lasting beauty of the number one brand of siding at jameshardy.com. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.